Today's guest is Jeffrey Cox. He is a 30-year Air Force veteran, and he has worked in civil service with the Department of Defense as the Senior Safety Director. He was also a field investigator for MUFON, also known as Mutual UFO Network, and he is the author of the book, The Fall of UFOlogy, Don't Bother Me With Your Deceit. Tonight, we hope that he can help us identify the facts from fiction when it comes to UFOs and the paranormal. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us this evening. I really appreciate you giving us some time. Well, thank you, Jeff, for bringing me on your show. It's quite an honor. All right. So how did you get interested in ufology in the first place? The strangest thing happened. No, actually, I was, uh, I retired and I started watching Hangar One. And I said, that's more information than I've ever heard or read in many of books. And I thought, well, it's always been ever since I was 10 years old and digging UFO books out of the trash or finding them on the ground or whatever, because we couldn't afford anything like that. And I'd read up on it. And next thing I know is all they're doing is telling a story, but they're not giving any analysis or facts behind what they're talking about. So time passed on a lot of time. Hangar 1, 2015, 2014, 2015, I said, I wonder if there's something with MUFON. So I called up uh, the MUFON director, Erica Lukes, and asked her if she could use some help. She said, absolutely. I gave her my bio, which showed that I had 20 years of investigation, investigation time and that she could definitely use me. So I joined MUFON. I did a couple, uh, I did quite a few investigations, but two of them were worldwide. Uh, one of them went to the top 10 for MUFON for the year of 2016, or 2015, excuse me. So during that time, uh, we, we worked on many projects together, Erica and myself. She introduced me to numerous people that really uh, boosted my my insight into ufology and all the other ologies that transpire. I mean, we're talking hundreds, okay, when you look at the cultures and subcultures. So once I started uh, going to the conferences and meeting all the people, uh, I found out that it's not always what you, what you think it may be. Okay, I went to the parties, I went to the outings, I ate lunch with them. You, you, you see a lot, you hear a lot. Again, I want to remind folks, there's a lot of good people out there and a lot of honest people. There's just a few of them that have expanded their careers over 20, 30 years that are, are absolutely using the system and using the people. Mm-hmm. So I went uh, I went. Two and a half years with uh, Erica and MUFON, and then we we departed. She went her direction. I went my direction for research. I actually uh, worked on an, uh, a project with scientists for about a year and a half, and as little as I did, I think, for the project, it's basically what he had taught me in learning different different things, studying snowflakes, okay? Our project was was ball lightning, 
okay? I think it was more orbs. But, I mean, I studied snowflakes. I studied chemistry. I studied, I studied things beyond what I ever did in college or high school. It just opened up my world. And so I took that, that, those lessons and applied it to my own research. And so I went on, uh, on my own after that. So I've been out in the field quite a few times, I would say, off and on in the field, probably 20, 25 times by myself. I decided to do my own type of research. And I find out a lot of times when you're away from a group, you can do you get a lot more done than sometimes with a group. It's pretty common that people have pictures of orbs. So one, I want to know, have you ever seen an orb in person or in picture? And can you tell us the difference between a real orb in picture or something that looks like a circular anomaly in a photograph? I, uh, I can actually, if you can post the picture that I gave you, mm-hmm. if that's possible, it's a black background with kind of a white splotch in it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So anyway, on the on the orb side of the house, yes, I did see my very first sighting was an orb. Mm-hmm. I went out on my back deck mm-hmm. and uh I, I've got a very powerful green laser. Mm-hmm. And I'm this is kind of one of the things I first learned. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people disagree with it now, but okay. it worked for me. So I walked out on the deck and I'd be out there quite a few times, maybe four or five times, and then flash my light on a star or, or a light. Don't know. Didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this particular night I flashed over toward my uh, North Northwest and I hit one light twice. I went to the next light and I hit it twice with my laser. I looked back and for whatever reason, I looked back again and the first light that I flashed Started it just started moving. It wasn't even to the next star. Star that I thought uh, it hadn't hadn't even gone past that star yet. It moved just like a satellite. And I'm thinking, you know, come on. It it it, it was it was baffling to me because I spent I didn't just fly flash fly flash and didn't turn away. I flashed flashed and flashed, flashed, and knew exactly where those two were. And that first one just kept going north to northwest, just like a satellite. And I thought, okay, I'm going to write it down, because I believe that any type of sighting that you have as a witness, you need to write down as soon as possible from start to finish anything that you've observed or heard. Now, when you say you're you're flashing it at a light, you're saying a, like a light. It was up, like a star, a star way up in space, way up in the sky, way up but in the sky. Once, but it once moving. I noted it, but once I noted it moving, it was an amber color. Hmm. Okay, so I mean, it 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 was real close. I mean, it was like a, uh, I I would say maybe. I don't know, a large pin needle size up there. But to see it move like it did, it just, that that actually opened up my eyes. So as far as the orbs, there's 72 different colors of orbs. 
and they stand for many different things. And I, I'm, I'm, I was trying to look here at uh, the particular area. Okay, let me go. Let me go there quickly, and uh, I can give you a few more facts on. All right, let's talk what's about what's going on there. Let's yes. talk about this picture. These are pictures of orbs. Where was this taken at? That was taken in Laughlin. We wow. were at a UFO conference. We were there for a meditation group, and uh, Rob and Mike had their camera equipment. Now, Rob's got, he travels all over the world, and he's got $100,000 set up on a tripod to analyze everything in the sky. Mm-hmm. So, he all of a sudden, I, I got my back from behind and he's got his camera in front of the whole group pointing another direction. I understand, or I, I looked at him and noticed that they were behind the camera doing something. So I looked over my left shoulder and here's this yellow, bright yellow, about 20 degrees off the horizon toward Laughlin. Now we're 15 miles, 10, 15 miles outside of Laughlin, uh, Nevada. It looks like an upside down embryo. Bright yellow, 2D. It's off, off to my left left side, and it's hardly even moving. Slowly moving, slowly moving. I'm going to talk about a good 10 minutes. Well, I'm just between the meditation, being in a meditation my first time, trying to observe this, watching Rob and Mike recording and wondering and, and in pitch black, you couldn't see the sagebrush in front of you or anything. I mean, it's 12.08 in the morning, 12.03 in the morning. So I finally said, hey, I've missed I've missed three of these already taking a picture. I've got to get over there. I grabbed my camera, started walking. I'm stumbling through the sagebrush, can't see anything. Finally get around this vehicle because it's starting to get behind this SUV. I finally get out there. I put up my camera, and the first thing I tried, I thought I was hitting video. I hit a photo. Thank goodness I got that picture. I turned right around and hit video, and by that time, this thing, I don't know if you've ever heard the people talk, saying, and it turned into an airplane. And I'm going, turned into an airplane. Well, that's exactly what it did. This yellow blob was transforming into whatever whatever you see in the picture. It was quite, quite a distance away, transposed into this figure. But when I got it on film, it was all squirrely. I mean, it was probably six miles out. But it transformed into a so-called Piper airplane, and all you would see is this red light blinking, just like a small Piper airplane heading out away from us. Hmm. Now, Rob and Mike have those, that film, and I'm hoping someday that he, when he puts all of his travels together, that that comes out. But I'm also uh, describing some of the things about what we had seen on his videos on his website. That's very interesting. So it sounds like to me maybe a UFO got here either through a portal or interdimensionally. Once it fully got here in this dimension, it became something physical. Became like something. Some, some kind for of sure. ship. Interesting that, you know, I mean. it. That's, that's how I, I figured they were talking about how 
uh, how it turns into an airplane. So mm-hmm. it's it's basically basically uh, changing. Okay, mm-hmm. it's just changing, and uh, I think a lot of them do that as far as uh, as far as orbs, as right. far as uh, uh, and and let me clarify something too. I look I look at UFOs as something from two thousand before and before past history. I look at UAPs or unidentified aerial phenomena to, as uh, from 2000 on. And the reason I do that in my book is to decipher basically the history behind the two. Mm-hmm. So that's why I use UAP. Now, UAP was used by the gentleman I worked with who, who was actually Dr. Richard Haynes, NASA scientist, working with him on the ball lighting. Uh which is basically a normal plasma as far as we're concerned for ball lighting. Okay. But orbs to me are, are a lot more intelligent. Um, they are intelligent. Okay. There's mm-hmm. been screams from, from people and they actually react to it. I don't know how far you want me to talk about that. Well, let me ask you this. I've even personally, or it was either me or a friend of mine, just happened to be taking some pictures and you see a circular image in a photo and it almost looks like it's got some kind of texture to it. And sometimes it'll be coloring and it's accidental. You don't even see it when it's there. Are those real or those are just anomalies in the act of photography? Well, you got to look, you got to look at it. A lot of times they'll, they'll come out like the pixel on a, on, on, on your uh, cameras, okay? They'll, they'll be kind of squared off at times, but they're actually round, okay? It's what the camera does in, in some cases. But, yeah, th- I mean, uh, there's an individual that uh, filmed one up close. Mm-hmm. She owns a uh, mine, and they, these orbs used to come all the time to her place, and she's very well-known around the world. It's kind of died out now but she filmed this one that was orange and she got up close on that bugger and i'm telling you it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen it's just congelating around and moving around inside and you can see these little tentacles just coming out around the the containment there mm-hmm. and it's it's uh i mean it's it, to me uh, it's probably one of the best videos ever. okay I lost you. So orbs, a lot of people call them fireballs or plasma balls or mm-hmm. paranormal balls, mm-hmm. rings of fire, balls of fire, mm-hmm. foo fighters. I mean, there's a lot behind it. But a lot of this comes down to uh, colors, and a lot of these colors will differentiate the type of orb it is. One one can be the, the gold. It's, it's a golden-looking orb, not amber, but golden. And they, they look at that as the the, the premier teacher, mm-hmm. okay? Or a blue orb may be more of a consensual understanding orb. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot. Two uh, percent of the orbs are pink, mm-hmm. okay? But most of them are white, amber, blue, orange, red. And most of them... That I, I've been told, I've heard all sorts of stories, but I'll just go with what, what I think is reality. Mm-hmm. And that is they're from pea size 
to three to four feet. Okay. So I'm sure the one I saw up in the sky was probably three or four feet. All right. You, are, you answered my question. In your book, hey. I, in your book, I believe you talk about that a lot of people may fabricate stories or exaggerate stories just to become famous. Can you expand on that? Oh, I think I can. Basically, what these charlatans will be doing is uh, taking advantage of their position. They may have written a book. Okay, you got to remember a lot of these folks have been doing this for 20, 30 years. Now, there's there's one writer for uh, Roswell. As far as I'm concerned, when you've done your homework like he has, being out in the field, working with with uh, certain individuals that were originally on the investigation, talking to 200 people that were either acquaintances or possibly involved with Roswell, it's hard to deny a lot of his work, okay? It's kind of like on cattle mutilations. It's the same thing. You put 30 years in of your life, okay? You got the Chris O'Briens and the David Perkins and the Linda Howell, Moulton Howell. You have those folks that spent at least 30 years, some of them 45 years, okay? All on one subject, those three individuals for cattle mutilations, and you can't, and, and they can't come up with an answer. Okay, some will hi- use hypothesis or a theory, but uh, those folks I give credit to. Now there are certain individuals too that have a lot of years behind them that to keep that f- fame going, they'll start uh, telling stories. Okay, I think is the best way to put it. And even even their own sidekicks from the past will kind of back off of them. So the charlatans basically what what they do again is they want to sell you the snake oil, but they're getting a free pass on information to feed their egos at the cost of your money, mind, and spirit, and sometimes even your soul. Uh, it's 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 uh, it, what happens behind closed doors stays behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. And I was behind those closed doors with a couple of individuals. And that's, I can remember them telling one individual to get on, you know, once they're on the, on the camera, you just do what the producers tell you. That's how you stay on. Okay. So, but it comes down to truth. There's probably, I would say 10% truth. And then there's the expansion of truth. Mm-hmm. And you have to, you have to decipher. I, when I was with these folks, I could read their body language so easy. Mm-hmm. I'd study kinesics, mm-hmm. body language. Mm-hmm. I've gone through the, the courses. I've, I've got five books in my, my uh, barrister. Mm-hmm. Okay. On, on body language. You can read them. And the best thing to do, it's not foolproof, mm-hmm. okay? Body language or kinesics is not foolproof. But it's an extra tool in your, in your toolbox to use. So I, I use it quite a bit now when I'm around these, uh, these uh, charlatans. But the charlatans, too, can come in as, as uh, again, as fraudsters for CGI on the websites. 
they'll come in on your websites, uh, say, uh, for some UFO website, and they'll always debunk you. They have your debunkers. That's what they enjoy. It's kind of like the person that likes to argue with you all the time just to see how how, how well you you feed back your, your argument to them, whether they're right or wrong. They enjoy that argument. Okay. So the uh, charlatans, basically, the, uh, they can be the advertisers. They can be your TV producers. That's what I'm telling you what, what's selling on TV. I mean, it's, it's great entertainment in a lot of cases, but you gotta, you gotta cut out the meat from the bone. And there's a lot of bone there. Okay. A lot of untruth. It sounds like what you're saying is that the producers of the TV shows like to get people guests on that are willing to, you know, embellish quite a bit to make the show more interesting. Well, I'll give you an example. I did a film out of Dugway called Dugway and, and, and the Experience. Okay, I believe that's what it was called. The California team came in. Erica Lukes asked me to join. I was very, very honored to do that. Well, it turned out once we got down the hotel to meet the camera crew, they turned around and said, Erica, I hate to say this, but just going to be the the star of the show. So we went out to Dugway, actually, uh, Laverne, Laverne, Utah. I think it was Laverne, Utah, out to the uh, Sage Country, country store. It's kind of a, kind of a uh, drive-in, what do I want to say? Store that you can buy odds and ends. Mm -hmm. It's the only store in Laverne. Anyway, we, we went there, we did the filming and so forth. Got done with the filming, made a whole $50. So now I'm a charlatan officially. Okay. Came back. Uh, I got hold of the uh, producers to find out what it was going to be on television. And it turned out all of a sudden, he said, oh, we're going to have to, we need more filler. So we need to go, you to go on a podcast. I went on the podcast and one of the first things they they, they were trying to have me do was to say when I was out of Dugway uh, working various projects out there for munitions, nukes, and so on, weapons, explosives, they said, okay, but you did see something, right? And I said, no, I never saw anything. I said, the only thing I experienced out of Dugway was when I went out there to, uh, I was being oriented because I was the boss of the, the chief of safety there, went out there, got oriented, spent the night. Anyway, he shuts the blinds in, in the commander's office, which had three rooms for us to stay overnight with the bathroom inside, shut, shut the blinds and locked all the doors, including my door to my room. And I thought, what the heck is that? So I questioned him about it. He says, it's c- commander's policy. And I, I said, but Why? And he looks me straight in the eye and he goes, it's the commander's policy. Gotcha. The guy's a full bird colonel. I'm not going to argue with him. Right. So got up the next morning. The blinds were open. My door was unlocked. And I thought, must be something to it. Well, what it is, is just like the rest of the base, when the sirens go off, whatever it may be, they turn around. Everything's locked down. All the doors throughout the whole base 
every every building throughout. This is a huge place. Mm-hmm. Doors are locked. The blinds are closed. So what you don't know, you don't need to ask about. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason behind it. So it mm-hmm. keeps everything very confidential. But I was out at a test range. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing around. I don't know if they thought I was going to scurry through the, the computer files or the desk. I mean, it just didn't make any sense except you might see something out there. That's the only thing I could could suggest. Right. Can you give us some obvious tips to to spot UFO fakery? Whether it's body... Well, CG, CGI is... Yeah, uh, it really helps to have somebody that knows CGI. So I'm in a group uh, that does some very, very good work on it. And uh, there's 700 of us around the world. And all these films will come in, these pictures and so forth. And we'll actually be able to decipher whether it's fake or not fake. And a lot of times... Uh, these folks will send, uh, send in a picture that's a reflection off the windshield or a reflection off the mirror. You ask them, okay, did you take the picture inside your car with the window up? Oh, no. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it turns out it was, it's pretty easy to decipher mm-hmm. those type of things. As far as uh, fakery, uh, you've got, you've got the, uh, the folks using sometimes these street lights or uh, overhead lights that may be from uh, a park or maybe even a, a street or a roundabout, something like that. And they'll be circular and they'll go ahead and it'll be foggy outside. And they'll take a picture of that saying, see, I saw a UFO. Mm-hmm. And then they'll dull the picture up a little bit. They'll doctor it up. They'll, they'll photo- Photoshop it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the, China, uh, the Chinese lanterns, I mean, that gets me. Uh, it's amazing that people can can believe that after five minutes, the, the candle's going to burn out and it's going to start descending. Mm-hmm. If it's not climbing, trust me, it's, it's normally not a, a UAP. Mm-hmm. The other thing is skydivers. We have the skydivers here, and it happens all the time. They'll come down with their flares. They'll be late at night. Sometimes they'll be kind of... Uh, cloudy weather and so forth. So, and they're always taking the pictures from a distance and they'll say, well, definitely they call it UFOs, UAPs, definitely UAPs. I do an investigation. It takes me five minutes. <clears throat> I call the, I call the air traffic control and they tell me, no, it's just jumpers out of the plane. They, they flew out of here. Oh, wow. so, I mean, it goes on and on and on. The paranormal, the paranormal. I saw one on TV here just a couple days ago. They see this swing that's rocking back and forth, a blue swing. I don't know if you've seen this. And it's just rocking around. The kids are going crazy. The, the, the father behind the car, they're in the car. He's filming this and, and he's saying, I don't, I don't know what this is, you know, but he's trying to calm the kids down. He says, and it's just as quiet out here as can be. And he kind of moves around a little bit. And those trees are just blowing. And, and then he comes back real quick with the camera. And I'm going, the way the, the, the uh, large uh, seat to the swing was shaped, it wouldn't take much wind for that thing to be rocking back and forth. I mean, there's all sorts of things. And most of the time, you can figure out what's going on. 
What about some of the body language that you'd see? Oh, the body language. <laughs> uh, well, one thing I've realized on body language is that women tend to, uh, they tend to be able to uh, tell, tell, a, tell a great story a lot better than a man can. Um, the, let me look here. The thing I always like to point out here is the three wise monkeys. You hear, hear nothing, see nothing, speak no evil. And those humans, the human emotions of hand to face are simply deceit gestures. Okay. Especially as a young child. Okay. As you get older, you're not, you're not using your hands quite like a child does, but the hands do speak. Okay. So when children speak, you know, they'll cover their mouth or they'll cut. I don't want to see this. I don't want to hear this. Mm. Okay. Well, as adults grow up, it turns out that they intend to uh, conceal what they're doing a lot easier. And so as, as they become adults, the hands to the face become more unnoticeable, but all the gestures still occur in an improvised manner. When someone, someone's covering up or lying or just plain deceit. Now, again, I mentioned that kinesics is not foolproof, okay, in establishing a, a conclusion or deception of lying. It's just another tool. But the concept uh, is working the investigation basically from front to back. And basically what I do is <clears throat> I'll, I'll take a witness and what they've stated on their witness statement or so forth, I'll, I'll, I'll pick a piece, let's say uh, one-third, two-thirds of the way through the investigation. I'll say, okay, what about this? Were you, were you standing there with your camera? Did, were, were you talking to someone? Anyway, what they'll, what they'll normally do is their, their, their voice will change. That's also an in- indicator. What they try to do is convince you, okay? Instead of trying to tell you what happened, they're trying to be deceptive and convince you instead of saying what's actually there. And it's, and it's true. Any liar sooner or later will admit what has been proven. And in most cases, the story totally changes. One question I like to ask almost in every investigation I do is normally at the last of the interview, Okay, and I'll ask him, do you have any medical uh, issues, maybe disabilities, limitations in their eyesight, walking uh, disability, a drinking problem, speech impediment, surgeries, medications? Are you taking street drugs? Mm -hmm. You know, just get to the point. This helps a lot in eliminating maybe some pronounced issues like twitching, itching crossing the legs back and forth, and uh, the constant adjusting of eyeglasses. As you noticed, I don't believe I've touched my glasses one time. Mm. Then there are the professional liars. They're, they're, they are good. Mm. They're, the, they're the good ones that practice non-gesture lies that tend to win over more people. Women are, again, far better liars than most and more complicated, too. 
Attractive people are more, even more believed than unattractive, and women, women better at manipulating other people and reading emotions. So that's kind of an overview of what, is there something more you needed there? Well, not necessarily needed, but I have another question for you. What do you think okay. about what do you think about government officials coming out and stating about UFO stuff? For example, uh, this general in Israel recently came out and said that you probably know this story. He said that you know UFOs is real and the Galactic Federation is real and space isn't what you think it is. When people like him come out and say that. Is there a political reason that they're doing that, or, or or are they speaking the truth, or what do you think's going on? Well, a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, know they've been involved with investigations. They've been in, in, involved with, you know, you got the corsals, okay? You've got the, you've got the, uh, well, you've got a number of military officials that have been involved with with Project Blue Book, Project Crudge, so on and so forth, okay, that are able to uh, actually speak the truth, but they were held back by the government. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we've been fighting this for nearly almost 80 years until here recently. Now, why did they open up all of a sudden? It's because we as investigators already know what they're telling us. Okay, we just don't have the actual facts or the the actual uh, uh, literature or the, you know, the actual product, you know, to 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 show people, which I don't believe in that in that to be proof anyway. I believe in what people are are saying more and more is is true because they're on their deathbed. Okay, most of these folks that are finally admitting what's going on, whether they lied or whether they're telling the truth, it's normally on their deathbed. Or they told their their grandchildren or their son, and their their grandchildren and son will pass on that information. I just can't believe that somebody would be on their deathbed, and the last thing they tell you is it's true. And tell you the story, or you already know the story. I just can't believe somebody would say that as the last words being a lie. So as far as the government officials coming out now uh, with what's going on, I think they need our help. Hmm. I really do. Interesting. And I think they're asking for our help. But but these folks like the, the general from Israel, hey, whoopee whoop. That's all I can say. Okay. There's lots of you out there already. Okay. Now, if you can bring some 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 real facts, some real documents from the past and be able to explain it through and how you were involved or not somebody that gave it to you and it you're you're now talking as though these are facts. I don't believe in that stuff. And that happens a lot too. So what do you think is the reasoning behind why he made that statement? <laughs> a lot of them want, want, just want attention. Mm. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, maybe they want, uh, you know, being from Israel, Israel, 
you know, maybe they want to be part of the United States program. Okay. Means money. The United States has the money. Okay. And it's, <clears throat> there's a lot of money we spent. We spent trillions on this stuff. Okay. In my personal opinion, when, when you look at the money that's been missing over many decades from our federal fund, trillions of dollars unaccounted for, I believe it's gone into special projects. Okay. That's just my personal opinion. Now, whether we have a base on, on Mars or we have something in, 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 uh, on the moon, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, they said they, they launched some kind of a, a bomb or something that went off on the moon and it echoed for, I don't know, an hour and something minutes. Okay. These are just stories. Until, until I have all the facts, I'm a fact finder. Okay. And I'm, uh, Erica Lukes taught me a little bit more than what I thought I would know about investigations. So at the same time, you've got to take these investigations uh, as, as, okay, here it is. That's why you never say, okay, within 48 hours, I got to have this report out, which is what a lot of MUFON folks have done. It doesn't work that way. I've sat on reports for, for two years, adding to it as I gained more information. I never closed it out. Hmm. All right, let me switch gears with you here. Can you give me some examples of animals reacting to UFOs or the paranormal? Well, I've got a, a few things here that I've made note of. Uh, <clears throat> First of all, reactions of animals during UFO sightings provide clues to the nature of phenomena. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, if you look at MUFON and you look up animals in there or NARCAP, any of them, and you look up animals, there's very few mentions of animals in there. Why? Well, first of all, people weren't told this is what you need to be uh, looking out for. Okay. In Renishun Forest, one of the, one of the uh, items that was brought up was when the security policemen were out there, there were animals running from their habitat because of the UFO there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but you don't hear much about that or uh, Barney and who, who was it? Barney and Betty and think? Barney or something like that. Betty and somebody. Betty and Barney. Okay. She had a dog in her vehicle. Okay. You never hear about the dog. Well, that dog over a number of weeks was so traumatized, but what had happened to them took him weeks till that dog finally got back to normal. Hmm. Um, so animals tend to give a warning. One thing I have to give credit for is the smokers. Okay. The smokers take their dogs out and they walk them at normally in the evening. Uh, and that's when they, the dogs will react to UAPs or UFOs. Mm -hmm. And at that same time, the person that's out there having a smoke, walking the dog, would have never seen that UAP, that anomaly, 
it, I'm talking, let's talk paranormal and, and uh, uh, orbs or UFO. That dog reacts to that type of, of uh, not all the time, but a lot of times. And they'll bark and they'll growl and they'll, they'll sit back or they won't go any further. So these animals really are the telltale of the story. If it wasn't for the dog, that person would have never looked around like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Be looking around, they look up at the sky, and there's the UFO right up above them or an orb. So it's one of those, it's one of those things that you 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 often wonder whether. Uh, oh, give you another example. Uh, when the the frogs uh, are croaking during some of these uh, sightings, or the birds are tweeting, or or uh, the ducks are quacking, or whatever it may be, all of a sudden they just stop. Okay, the sound just stops. Why? Okay, is it some kind of is it some kind of um, light or magnetism? It's hard to say. I mean, there's been there's been stories over in England where a light enough to flood two football fields. This light comes over a forty square mile of area and just travels around around this 40 square mile and these sheep are just going crazy. Okay. And it took days for those sheep to even get back to acting normal or the, or the cows, uh, the cattle that uh, are, uh, they react to uh, orbs and so forth, uh, UFOs and, and they'll start or horses they'll start reacting also and start just stirring around and running around and so forth and mooing and neighing and all that stuff. They're just not acting normal. A lot of times, a lot of times these animals will run right into barbed wire fence and get wrapped up hmm. uh, because they're so scared. They can't break loose from their uh, environment or their corral or pasture. So uh, fish, uh, there isn't much study on uh, water habitats, but uh, fish, as you know, can can tend to light up the uh, a light, say, over the water. Fish will react to that, but they have a sensory that they can react. And the study the study is very vague, but there's some kind of reaction. Don't know if it's uh, maybe ripples in the water. Or, or maybe some some kind of uh, sound that's affecting them, but they'll scurry off too. One of the things, uh, give you an example here. Let's see. Had in uh, had in Uruguay, a farmer watched several dogs. The farmer des- described a disc in the shape of a Saturn-like object that was lit up and hoovering in the field and then landed. The dog saw this craft and ran right after it in an attack mode. 15 feet from the craft, the dog stopped short, sat down and started howling. Mm. So you wonder what's going on here. What kind of force has acted upon these dogs, whether it's, whether it's a sound that we can't quite hear or whether it's some type of magnetism or is there some residue left over uh, that's 
uh, permeating from the from the uh, anomaly that may stop it in its track. It's very hard to say what that would be. But a lot of times these sounds, too, you get into a human sound, which is 20 to 20,000 hertz. But a dog has 67 to 45,000 hertz. Rabbits up to 49,000 hertz. Cats up to 85,000 hertz. They actually, cats and dogs, okay, are actually out of the range of what a human, okay? So they're... They're here in the high ranges, okay? Then you get in the parrots. They're up to 200 to 8,500 hertz. That's when you see these birds start plucking their feathers out. They're disturbed by something that's going on, whether it be paranormal or who knows what other effect they have. And then chickens, the last one here, is up to 2,000 hertz. So, I mean, it's it just goes on and on. Um, birds don't have great hearing, okay? But what they do have is uh, receptacles or Hertz uh, corpuscles, which are elongated nerve cells that are sensitive to vibration and uh, pressure. This is in their beak, okay? And they're, they're <clears throat> they get a tingling sensation, basically, and these birds that do sense this vibration or pressure uh, feel feel that that uh, something. That's what's normally they scurry off. Uh, birds also just they have this type of vision. I think it's called a, a technochrome or something like that. And you wonder how how, how do uh, birds go from the South Pole to the North Pole? Well, it's kind of, I look at it as kind of like our ley lines. You've heard of ley lines? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of magnetic lines around the earth, okay? And they're all over the place. Well, those ley lines, uh, to me, is an example of what these birds see. Basically, they see almost like a gray pattern. And they follow this gray pattern, and it basically takes them to where they need to go. It's it's amazing mm-hmm. study. But some of those things that they uh, talk about, one, one thing, too, animals don't respond to just specific things like a, as far as a, a UAP, like a disc or sphere or paranormal or, or anything like that. They all are the same thing, okay? So something is emitting from that anomaly that's subjecting that animal amphibian, fish, whatever it may be, to either it's the hearing, the residue, whatever it may be, magnetism, so forth. Now, at the beginning, you mentioned that when you saw an orb, you were together with some people, and I guess you were trying to see UFOs, and you meditated first, or you were at some type of meditation. Yes. And I believe that there are groups that go out together and try to see UFOs, and I think they also meditate first before before they try to see them. So why do you meditate and what is that doing? Well, I think the one time I've been out to a meditation, and it was very good. I mean, obviously, Rob, Mike, and myself, I mean, I've, I've had very good fortune in, in, in seeing UAPs. Uh, 
I believe that it puts you in a different state of mind. And I believe that the anomaly, it's out there somewhere, okay? Whether all of a sudden it's it's in, I call it the thin world, okay? That's, that's where you're between your world and the other world. But you can't step, you can't step in or out, okay? But you certainly can look in. Okay. And it's called the thin world or the thin place. And I believe these anomalies, I mean, all of a sudden they just show up. And I just, I just think that those anomalies have a hiding place in the, in the fifth dimension and be able to transition through. They've got it down. I mean, they've got it down. I mean, it's just part of their livelihood. And that's how they travel around and travel quickly. I mean, we're studying all the, you know, taking space and bending it around, and pretty soon we'll be able to get someplace that quick. We are so close. And everything I'm reading now, it's coming out more and more. We are so close to doing what we need to be doing to travel, in my opinion, faster than light. Hmm. And there's a lot of studies on it. There's a lot of theories there's a lot of studies that are very close to finding this. And I believe in some of those, uh, I believe in the wreckages that they've collected. And I believe that's where a lot of our technology has come from. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I'll give you a a quick story. I'll give you a quick story on a little bit of paranormal. I had my hands, uh, I had surgery done on my hand and my therapist told me this. He was down in Salt Lake City, and he was walking out to JB's, and all these people are looking up in the sky. Perfectly blue sky, about noon, okay? Wonderful warm day during the summer. This was probably five, six years ago. They're looking up, and he's wondering, what the heck are all these people? He looks up there, and he said it looked like a piece of glass that was waving in the sky, okay? And he observed this. I said, how close was it? And he says, I'm just guessing maybe 150 feet up in the air, but it was big enough where you knew it was like a piece of glass, but it was waving, like seeing seeing heat on the horizon. And he says, after about five, 10 seconds, he turned away, he looked back up, and it was gone. Hmm. And all the people kind of looking around and so I thought that was kind of an interesting story in the middle of the day which you don't hear too many about so what technology do you think we've gotten from from the wreckages like fiber optics oh I I, I believe <laughs> the technology I believe is uh, the type of material that the ship needs to be made of okay uh I believe that they've they've uh, taken that material and able to reconstruct it to be able actually to build a UFO or a UAP, whatever you want to call it, a ship. Okay, I think they've got the idea down as far as a small ship, but the the theory that I'm hearing is that it's easy to get the small ship up in the air it's getting it back down and i thought 
I wonder what that's all about. So I think the technology is there. I don't think they're able to put the the generating source together enough to make it feasible to do what what they hope they can do for for a long period of time. So um, as far as technology, you know, I, I, I was around when fiber optics first came out, all this other stuff, you know, the cell phones and all this. This was all Star Trek stuff. All of a sudden, boom. I mean, there it is. You know, we had we had watches with, you know, like Dick Tracy watches. Now, now we can do all that stuff. Okay. This just didn't happen over years and years of technology. I just believe that we've, we, we have help. Do you believe Bob Lazier's story, the guy that supposedly worked at Area 51, Bob Lazar, I mean, do you believe his story? Uh, I do not. Do I not? believe, I believe uh, he was probably, uh, you know, a worker that got around, heard a bunch of stories, you know, uh, what do they call it? Water cooler talking, you know, barbershop talk. And uh, I believe he, he was in the right place at the right time and said, hey. And he, he was pretty good at what he did. I mean, he built jet cars and racing cars and things of that sort. He was he's quite innovative. He wasn't that innovative. So he, so he came out with a lie, in my opinion. Uh, uh, Stanton Friedman. Mm-hmm. Uh, investigated him quite closely. I've read his report over and over again. Mm-hmm. He was spot on. He's never seen him go to MIT, any records of him. Uh, I mean, it, it goes on and on. They, he's got one badge. Yeah, he worked out there. Big deal. But no, I don't believe his story won. So you believe he may have worked at Area 51, but he wasn't working on UFOs. He may have just... Oh, I believe he worked at Area 51. Okay, so, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. It seems like what we do need, and maybe they figured out, is something to create anti-gravity. I think that's... I don't believe Area 51. uh, You know, it's so hard to say. I mean, how did Doug they have so many projects going out there. We call it Area 52. Right. Okay. And you you look at these uh, individuals that work out there as contractors and so forth. I mean, I've known a lot of them. I was, I was chief of safety. I mean, I did all my testing out there. Never once did I ever hear a story about this or that or in the sky or so forth. But now... I mean, you can you could go on the outside of Dugway from a distance outside the the per, uh, perimeter and be able to see laser lights going clear up to the sky. When when we were filming my uh, my movie, I wasn't able to get out because we were doing the movie side, and a couple of those folks the night before went out with their cameras from from the movie company, and we were shown, okay, let's let's wait here. Something's bound to happen. They waited out there for about three or four hours, and it was cold as heck, too. I, I remember how that filming went. And that that evening, as soon as they put their cameras almost all back in their cases, that light just shot up from the sky and went, I don't know, they said it went a long ways. And then another one shot back down. 
Wow. And it was like, you're kidding me. You know, now I haven't seen that before. I've seen the light go straight up where they're testing the lasers. I've never seen it come down. So they saw something. They tried to get their cameras out in time. By the time they got the cameras out, started recording, there was nothing there. Hmm. So I'm hearing it from other people, totally unprepared. <laughs> okay, that's where you need your phone on your side, fully charged, not in autofocus, able to rotate, so on and so forth. Be able to pull that sucker out and at least get something. Okay, don't worry about all that camera gear that they had to pull out. Had they been a little sharper, they could have gotten it. Hmm. Do you think that the aliens are in communication with humans? Yeah, I do. You do? I do. I, I believe, and the reason I say that is I've talked to a number of people. Um, got this one friend in Australia, and she, she supposedly, I won't say supposedly, she does communicate with the grays. Hmm. And with the grays, it's, there's always the orbs. And uh, between her and, excuse me, a, a number of other people that I've spoke to, uh, I, I don't deny it because I've seen I've seen the language that she learned from the grace. Okay, letters meaning certain things, wow. and she has taken those letters and shown me or shown people the same letters from clear across in another country. The same letters from a gray. Now, where does that come from? And you wonder, and she said it blew her away. So these letters, they represent certain meanings. And yet she, in her communication, she, she does a lot of on, on the website communicating. This person came across said, this is what I, I've gotten. And when she matched those two up, she said there were a number of letters that matched exactly with what she had. Not all of them, but a number of them. Hmm. Those are, when you're saying letters, you're saying like. Symbols. Symbols, right. They're actually symbols. Wow. Okay. But they're, they're translated in, in both the graphs. Hmm. And, and the meaning behind those for those two people were so close in meaning that it, it, it's hard to deny it. What do you think? It's about, really hard to not deny it. What do you think about alien human hybrids? Do you think that's going on? I mean, you know, now we get into the theories and the, the star seeds. And the, mm-hmm. You know, it was like me. I saw th- three U, uh, UAPs mm-hmm. in five months. Okay. Right. And I show up to this conference and the word is out that I've seen all these, all these objects. And so the star child, she was an older lady and she had, she was a mentor to a nice, beautiful gal. She said she wanted to speak to me. So I went over, I spoke to her. I wanted to meet her anyway, but I went over to speak to her and she, she says, I can, I can read you. She said, I said, you can. And she says, yeah, I, she says, you, you love to fly. And I said, fly in one manner. She says, You'd love to pilot aircraft. I said, no, I don't. Hmm. She, she says, well, 
da 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 I, I can't remember. It was two or three questions she asked. I said, no, I don't. She says, you're an interesting person. She says, you've had three sites in five months. She says, she gives me her, her card. She says, you need to call me. And the first thing I thought of was dollar signs coming up mm-hmm. so she could read my my scope. Right. So, uh, uh, but these people that most of the folks thought uh, at the conference, she, if she thinks she's a star child or star seed, fine. She thought I was a star child. I said, no, I'm not. I said, I was in the right place at the right time. And I, whatever I, I've seen in my foresighties, I was blessed to see it. I never saw anything before I was, let's see, five years ago, before 63 years old. Mm. And I looked in the sky a lot. I did a lot of camping. Mm. Okay. I looked in the sky. I looked and I was lucky to see a comet or a, or a asteroid or a meteorite come through, you know? So it's uh to me, no, uh hybrid, I'm not saying it's not impossible. I'm just saying I'm not going to put my stamp of approval on it mm-hmm. until I see something for sure. What is the most convincing thing you've ever seen or read about UFOs besides seeing them for yourself? Well, the most convincing, well, the most convincing thing I saw is what I can tell you about my sighting. Okay. If you'd like to hear it. Yes. Um, it's uh, actually, it's MUFON case 75115. As a MUFON Utah assistant state director, I was hesitant to report this at first. And, and now that it was my second credible UAP sighting, I had the shoe on the other foot and had a professional obligation, obligation to report it. Let me set the stage right. This is was at my house on the back balcony here. Okay, I'm looking at the Wasatch Front. I'm here in Roy, Utah. I can look north to Ben Lomond. I can east to Mount Ogden at the highest point. There's communication towers up there. And then Francis Peak is further down. It's a military radar site. My home is right on the flight pattern of Ogden Airport, a third of a mile away. Hill Air Force Base is three miles away, and Salt Lake City International, as the crow flies, is 20 miles away. So lights in the sky have always been part of my life for almost 43 years. The morning I woke up, on uh, it was March 11th, 2016, I woke up at 5 o'clock, Around 5.07, I walked to the sliding glass door and poked my head through the curtains, as I do every morning to check the weather outside. However, this time I noticed a light above Mount Ogden, which was directly, almost directly in sight of, uh, of, the, uh, of the back uh, deck uh, near the communication towers, climbing up and out of place and flashing. I thought, man, that's unusual. It was about 300 feet above Mount Ogden, which is an elevation of 9,500 feet. Had an azimuth of 40 degrees and north 41 east. And it was approximately eight miles, again, as the crow flies just north of the communication towers. Well, my first thought was this was the star Actoris, which was shining at that time. 
but that was to its right as a reference point. It wasn't moving. There is no normal flight pattern for this particular area. Actually, where this occurred, where this actually, this light actually rose up is Snow Basin area. There's a bowl in there right next to the ski resort where my friends and I used to ski all the time. Uh, but the only reason that light would ever appear, I thought, would be search and rescue because that is not a flight pattern there. And I even checked with uh, uh, air, tower, air tower control and uh, air traffic control, and they said there was nothing that was flying. It, it never showed up on uh, on my uh, my chart for uh, flights, flight radar 24, I think it is. Anyway, uh, I put both both my hands up the glass door and around my face to block out the surrounding light from inside the house to clear get a clearer picture. Brilliant light flashed twice, approximately every eight ten seconds while moving upward near the towers. Then a brilliant red light. I mean, this light was so pure and clean and brilliant. And then I saw uh, uh, a white light, much very powerful. I mean, it's just like a strobe. Uh, blinking randomly. It wasn't sequential. Two or three times seemed to be in my direction. Then approximately after the uh, fourth flash, uh, the intensity became even greater. The UAP was now slowing down as it was heading northwest above the the mountain. By this time, it had climbed approximately a 1,000 feet higher. With my 37 years experience of Flying aircraft, being chief of safety, being in helicopters, behind the yoke of a C-5, uh, a backseater and a 16, all the flying I've done in all the years. I mean, this was something completely out of the military inventory. And especially lights don't flash like that on any aircraft, except especially at a distance, non-sequential, with such clarity and pureness. So what what uh, what happened was that that light came toward me, came within about a mile and a half. The next thing I know, uh, it's, it's flashing a couple times white, a couple times red. Starts doing an embankment, just like a, a uh, Piper aircraft, make it a 90-degree turn to do a flyover because our airport was closed down. It, it, at that time, it didn't open until, I believe, 7 o'clock in the morning. Again, this is at 5.10 by that time, 5.12 in the morning. Starts doing an embankment. All of a sudden, well, I took my green flasher, and I was going to flash it when it was heading toward me. And I thought to myself, no, if I'm wrong, I'm not going to blind that pilot. Sure enough, as soon as it starts turning, then I I flashed it a couple times, well, three, four, five, six times, and nothing happened. But what happened was, had two lights, and I'll put it in perspective as far as the viewers seeing here. You got a white light here, and you got a red light here. Both of these lights go off. Those lights had to be at least six foot, feet diameter. I'm talking circular, okay? And they both went off the same time, which indicated to me that it was not a normal aircraft. It went off the same time. The red light fused right out. You couldn't see the outline of it. But the white light, as it fused down, I could look. I could literally see almost like crystallization inside of it. And it took me a, 
a, a while to think this over. But that crystallization, the way it was developed, was like to 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 uh, enunciate in space at a long, long distance that light, that strobe light. I'm talking about a long, long distance because it was so bright from where I was looking at it. So that anyway, that that UAP made a turn. There was no structure to it. It was just the lights. It was cloaked. It was a clear night. It was a little bit cool, but not, not as cold as it normally is for, for March or for February, excuse me. And the next, or for March. And for me, when it was cloaked, I said, what the heck's going on here? Well, all of a sudden, I, I, I thought, why is he doing a flyover? And which means just flying over the runway. So he was between I-15 and Ogden Airport, starts doing a flyover. I see the lights go off just a couple times, and but I look ahead, and here's this misty, kind of dirty white cloud. I mean, a cloud. There isn't a cloud in the sky, except right above the airport at the end of the runway. That, that airplane, that UAP flies straight into it, and within two to three seconds, poof, it's gone. I could look where that cloud was, and I could see North Ogden lights and the mountains from from the moon in the background. It was just as clear as could be. And that's mm. my story, and I'm sticking to it. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like it disappeared into a portal. Exactly. It was a portal, and uh, it's a portal that I've never read about. I've tried to... Go on uh, MUFON website and RCAP, so forth, bring up portals and so forth. Nothing has ever matched up to that. It's always been what I've heard, something people observing coming out of it or looking into it. This you couldn't see anything looking into. Like I said, if that light hadn't flashed white and then fused down, uh, it flashed outside the cloud and then fused down, it was just enough light for me to get a picture of that cloud, what it was. And like I said, it just looked like a dirty, dirty cloud, a thick, a very thick cloud. How did you feel after you saw that? Were you just like nervous, surprised, shocked? Well, you know, I freaked out. I, I think I said, what the blank just happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, I pinched myself. I know I pinched myself. I may, I, I think I slapped myself because it was so much of, so much of everything. The, the the lights from a distance, moving, flying, coming up like a helicopter, moving north. I didn't mention I ran downstairs to grab my laser and my binoculars. I don't know why. Normally my gear's there, but at that time I had just finished off my investigation Nephi for the pilot and the air traffic control, and I ran upstairs, had to turn off my alarm so I could open up the door. I mean, it was about a minute. I mean, I hurried. Mm-hmm. And then when I got out there, I see it coming at me. When I first saw it going north, and I thought, I'm a lucky son of a gun. Mm-hmm. So here I am. Here I am, 20 feet away from my phone. I don't think about my phone. Mm-hmm. I'm just mesmerized again. Wow. It's, it's amazing. I read report after report after report. People have seen these anomalies 
And by the time they realize that they should have grabbed their phone, it's all over with because there's, you're just glued to it. You've never seen anything like it. It took me, like I said, it took me out at Laughlin good seven minutes, I think, before I said, I got to get this. And that's when I trudged through the desert over sagebrush to finally get the one picture that you showed. Right, right. Wow. Uh, I want to bring to the audience uh, some topics that are not often discussed in the anomaly world. My book, as you introduced it, provides readers with a broad perspective of why ufology is continuing dyingology. And it's uh, with the ufology interpretation is just that simple. We only interpret from a source that fits into our subjective reality. Now, the misnomer of the usage of the word ufology encompasses why so many anomaly books don't tell or don't sell, I should say. Uh, the symposiums have a low audience attendance. Entertainment circus venue speakers are normally the same people with the same log lines. CGI websites, hoaxers, fraudsters, trolls are normally young people without a job or a life looking to discover themselves. All of these scenarios have no value and don't provide any education on what is really going on within the anomaly world. So in my book, I call each of them out and explain to the readers what I've experienced as far as the fiction and what to look for in candor, in other words, truth. However, at the same time, my book is an upbeat self-help providing humor without curse words and sexual exploitations. Mm -hmm. That might be a little different for for a lot of readers. Mm -hmm. Let me say one thing before we get too far into this discussion. There are by far more good people in these anomaly arenas for the right reasons doing the hard work and field work and research such as MUFON while attempting to get the truth out through all of this deceitful and hypocritical information being passed through all of the medias. My book is written on the premise of educating, again, on the many facets of the anomaly world. So what I want to say is I'll talk about the good, the bad, and the untruthful provided by so many that I know. I talk about the intricacies of biblical hypothesis of what they say you may actually be seeing. I also speak about ufology being misconceived, and basically they use it as the the grand behemoth. And then I talk about paranormal, in a lot of cases, just being normal. I touch on kinesics, which is the body language, which a lot of people, they deal with it all the time. But they really don't understand what they're they're dealing with. So I, I t- touch on that where witnesses never say a word, but the investigator knows the whole story. There's also this wonderful section of why animals can't tell lies because they have no imagination. An insightful look on the mutes or otherwise called cattle mutilations. And my theory on what has taken place concerning the mutilations. I also wrote about my personal sightings along with other stories, primarily from pilots uh, witnessing from their view, 
from their perspective. And talk about the charlatans. Keep selling the snake oil while getting a free pass on uh, misinformation feed their egos at your cost of your money, mind, and spirit, and sometimes even your soul. I talk also about my view on spiritualism through mediums, cryptozoology with proven existence, ball lightning and extra ball lightning, along with breaking down of what orbs really are. Uh, I actually worked with a, a NASA scientist on this on this project. I touch on crop circles, introduce vocabulary words based around the word animology. Animology is a study of anomalies. Instead of everything being piled underneath ufology, I have breaking it down and I basically have built a tree. So we'll talk more about that if we get to it. There's also a short story for kids called Ob the Orb and a large section of mentoring kids through astronomy while giving parents suggestions on how to transition the discussion on anomalies later on when the children are ready to understand. So my book basically is implementing my ideas or changes into an 80-year-old established foundation of, of these patriarchs and matriarchs in ufology and other ologies, as far as them being investigators, researchers, book writers, and of course, the storytellers. That won't be easy, but it's a start in the right place. Uh, basically, I want to say my application of media changes and speaking the truth and educating within each facet of the anomaly world, using ufology as the umbrella for anomaly cultures is unjustified and absolutely wrong. And I think that's a pretty good introduction, I hope. Yeah. Well, Jeff, unfortunately, I am out of time, but I really appreciate you sharing with us today. And um, maybe you can come back sometime and we can get some more information out of you. I'd love to. Thank you, Jeff. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. It's nice to get the word out. Yeah, I appreciate that. All right. Well, have a great evening and I wish you the best, Jeff. Thank you. Take care. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.